welcome to another edition of the Sight and Insight podcast. My name is Judy Curtis and with me today we have the very lovely Lawwin Connie Nagel and the equally lovely David P. Curtis. <laughs> so it, uh, we've been trying to persuade them to go outdoors to paint. The weather's been a bit changeable uh, but uh, in fact we decided instead that we would do a podcast and we would look at the work of Don Stone. Uh, Don Stone, uh, there's a show on at the North Shore Arts Association, even as we speak. Uh, it goes through, she says, hastily checking her notes. It's on view through October 9th at the North Shore Arts Association, 11 Pirates Lane, Gloucester. Uh, and I've been working on Don Stone for a little while now. I helped do a catalogue for the show that was at the Rockport Art Association shortly after Don passed away. Uh, and now there's a new exhibition of his work at the North Shore, and it's a wonderful exhibition, and it shows up really well in the uh, in the main gallery at the North Shore upstairs. So if you can take the time to go over and look at it, you won't be disappointed. Um, I'm going to be doing a PowerPoint presentation on September 30th. I think that's a Sunday at two o'clock. So if we whet your appetite with uh, with this podcast, I hope you'll come along and join us on that day and take a look at the work. There. So actually, I'm really cheating because uh, I'm going to, I'm hopefully going to get a lot of information from David and Connie uh, about Don's work. I mean, I have some ideas about what I wanted to talk about. I think he's a wonderful designer. I love his brushwork. Uh, I think his sense of composition is wonderful. Uh, but I'd really like to hear what uh, what the actual artists feel like. I'm I'm looking at it as the point of view of a viewer. But, um, Connie, can I start with you? Because I know you studied with uh, artist Stan Muller, uh, and Stan was a pupil of Don Stone's at, uh, at some point. So do you have right. any thoughts on, on what you learned from Stan that might have been handed down? It's like this golden thread of uh, art right. education. Right. I, um, it's true. Uh, Stan Muller... Um, speaks of Don Stone as being his his mentor, his uh, primary teacher. And, um, and, he, and he accumulated a lot of things. He even worked a lot with videos, which Stan, um, Don Stone apparently did. And, and um, he, so he would use that to compose things that were moving, like mm -hmm. oceans and stuff oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. So um, I saw that that he kind of mimicked Don Stone in that way, but he also, I think, had this kind of spontaneous, um, strongly emphasized brush stroking mm -hmm. that, that they do, that both of them do, that seem rather sketchy and, yes. uh, and like in the moment. That's and right, I yeah. love that. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's important because if you're, if you're going to be painting something, that's what you want. It's if you don't want a painting to look labored over. And right. So you're, and exactly. If, and if you're outdoors enjoying your painting or in the studio, you want to be in that moment, as you say, right. and you want the work to look like it was really easy to do, even if it wasn't. You want yeah. the viewer to see that that sort of representation. And also, I mean, I say it's it's sketchy, it's spontaneous, but it the colors, the color notes are fantastic. Mm -hmm. Very rich, deep, um, and. And I believe that that's really the entrance into Don Stone's paintings to yes. me. 
uh, right now I can really feel the color notes and and it gives me something. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's more than his drawing is yeah. what I would say. Yeah, because yes, when I look at Don's work, it doesn't necessarily look doesn't have an architectural look like he's trying to draw everything in. It's more mm. a case of being able to put the brushstroke down to. Is he representing form with with colour and brushwork? Is that what you're supposed to do, <laughs> David? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to. Yeah, we're supposed to do that. But that's not always <laughs> easy, I, I, and hit upon the doesn't of always the come together. Uh, but only the spontaneously. <laughs> yeah, only the artists seem to recognize themselves that their own work has these pitfalls in it. Yeah. Um, in thinking about this, um, I believe you. Uh, had to was hired by a gallery to do oh, a yeah. biography on Don Stone. <laughs> My first chance of meeting Don Stone, and I was absolutely petrified. <laughs> Judy was scared, so she asked me if I'd go along. And I'd I heard said, lots of stories about him. Yeah, yeah. And, and most artists tell fantastically wild stories about each it was other. Greatly and none of them are he true. He was such a gentleman. <laughs> but I, um, did, I did take David with me for So I went along and Walked into his beautiful home in New Hampshire and um, uh, had a beautiful studio. I mean, the studio was a home unto itself. And there was all his paintings hanging in the studio with frames on them. And I just assumed they were finished paintings. And he looked, I said, these are all finished on? He says, no, no. And he go, went over to one of the paintings, took it out of the frame and put it on the easel. And he says, I think I know what's wrong with this painting. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, how many so years true. have you been working on that? I don't know, this is about six or seven years old. <laughs> and I think I know what the problem is. I can solve it. I said, well, have you shown it? He says, oh, yeah, it's been out. Came back. And I oh, think I've got the problem. that makes me feel good. Because <laughs> um, I'm doing this no, all the time. In, in good company. <laughs> and so when I asked him, because most of the time, if, if I'm with fellow artists, Connie, you're one of the few people who likes to talk about painting and how to paint. <laughs> Uh, most painters don't. They'll talk about everything under the sun. So I think it was because Judy was there and his ego wasn't needed to come out. He uh -huh. said to me, his whole philosophy of art was, it's a puzzle to be solved. And I thought, I yeah, that. I could see that exactly. And whatever the puzzle was, and it's that mental, I don't want to call it agitation, but it's that mental... Uh, preoccupation painters have with their own work and with painting in general that I think um, it becomes a problem to be solved. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting as, uh, like I say, I, I didn't know what to expect, so I asked David to go with me because I needed him to drive because I have no sense of direction and we had to go up to uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, I think it was. But it was really interesting hearing Don talk and I was glad David was there because I think as the artist in Don Stone was talking to the art, you know, the artist David, and therefore it was something different to talking to somebody who was going to be writing about you. Um, but <laughs> it was an honor to do that. And then a little later, um, Don and his wife Sarah approached me to, um, to do some, some more writing for them. Uh, and then I helped Caleb Stone and uh, his sister Pam, the family, uh, put mm. something together after Don passed away we, we put um, sort of like a memorial catalogue together and when you see a body of Don's work um, in, in one room like either the, the Rockport mm. Hibbard Gallery 
or the uh, the North Shore, because that's a beautiful gallery yeah, too. Great, when you yeah. look and you see all those paintings, I mean, there are over a hundred paintings in this show at the North Shore. Um, and there are big ones, small ones, uh, some are sketchier than others. But it's just the the whole, you see, the whole gamut of that work and you look and there's a lot of variety. Sometimes when you yeah. see a one-man show, it can... Everything is so samey that your eyes sort of slide round and it, mm -hmm. it doesn't stop anywhere. And with Don Stone's work, you find yourself stopping at every painting to look at them. Yes, they're all right, different. Right, yeah, right. and I just think they're they're amazing. Um, and I'm well, just... didn't his style? I mean, I I knew him better in the eighties um, than in the sixties, uh, seventies uh, when he was around Gloucester. I didn't know him well then. And I believe his work in those days was a little different. Yeah, I think, I think it, it went... was mostly watercolors. It went through several different permeations. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, his background was that he was actually doing, uh, you know, he was doing art at Gloucester High School. I think he studied with your uncle Howard. Um, and then Not he, yeah, after high school, he went to, um, uh, was it Vesper George? No, I wrote it. He was very influenced by um, the teachers at Vesper who yeah. were professional painters. Yeah. yeah, but he was also doing going into illustration, That's right. I think, at the time, because obviously illustration was something that perhaps might guarantee a regular wage as opposed to fine art, where, yes, when you finally sell a painting, then mm -hmm. you, you get the remuneration mm -hmm. then. So he was studying illustration. Um, he was in the Navy for a short time, um, and mm. then when he came out of there, uh, I think he was married and he got a job at one of the newspapers doing illustration. Um, and so that was his, back, his background before he started moving mm. into the fine art. Now, when he moved up to, I think the newspaper finished and so that he was out of a, a job and he came up to Rockport and he met his next door, no, not next door neighbour, he met a neighbour who happened to be Paul Strizik. And uh, he got interested yeah. in what Paul was doing because he'd never seen, you know, Paul would say, OK, you're a painter, yeah, let's go out and paint. And Paul was used to painting plain air, going outdoors mm. and painting. And Don had never seen anything like this before. He thought this was amazing. And so oh, uh, he would go great. out with Paul and paint. And it was Paul Strizik, I believe, who introduced Don to painting on Monhegan, which had a huge influence on Don because he finished up uh, living there and, and teaching. And so it played a huge part yeah. in, in his I met career. In, on Monhegan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he came up to me. I was painting a couple of Adirondack chairs in front of the Monhegan, uh, yeah, Monhegan mm -hmm. Library. Mm -hmm. And uh, he comes up in this uh, go-kart, you know. <laughs> parks it and he says hi i like what you're doing oh, <laughs> which is really neat it is because i don't you know i don't think he threw the compliments out uh to oh just, just because i never yeah because yes this was one of the stories i'd heard about how students would end up in tears and things like that but uh <laughs> i know actually from some of david's classes that students can end up in tears even if you say yes your work is good so this right. artists particularly student artists can be very emotional about the work it's very intense mm. the, the creativity that you pour into personal. you pour your heart and soul yeah. into something yeah so 
Um, anyway, it's. I think it's. So watercolors when he met Strissick is was the main thing. Did he get introduced to oils at, when when Paul? Was I thought he was doing him. oils with Paul as well as yeah. yeah. I thought he had dabbled in oils, yeah. but watercolor was his was his most noted tech, uh, medium. Watercolor. I didn't. Well, I thought he were, he in got the 60s into oils and the 70s. first. He because I thought it was. Um, that he was doing oils, and then mm. he wanted to get away from doing oils because he felt that people were comparing Paul's work and his own, mm. uh, and he wanted to do his own thing. So he started, I thought that's when he got into oil painting, uh, mm. watercolour painting. I'm sorry, folks, I haven't had enough coffee today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that he was, and his idea of of learning a, a new medium because he, he went into egg tempera at a, another point, he tried many different things, uh, was that he would look for an artist that he could admire and look at their work and then he would he would work on it, copying the masters kind of thing. He would yeah. copy the work over and over to see how, how that artist had executed the work, the brush strokes, the composition, um, the, the colour tones. Uh, and he would do that uh, constantly until he felt that he, he was comfortable with that kind of medium. Uh, and then he would sort of do his own, you know, his own compositions. And he, because he was telling me uh, during an interview that although he would do all these copies, he didn't sell those copies. They were copies for his own personal use to, you know, to learn how another artist had done something and then he would come back to mm -hmm. uh, to doing his own thing uh, and he'd you know he did some really nice things um, I wasn't going to talk too much about the watercolors in yeah in the PowerPoint simply because when I was photographing the work for the PowerPoint of course it's hard to photograph a watercolor so <laughs> that's why I've got one or two watercolors because I think some of them are interesting um, and I'll be talking about some a lot of the paintings that are actually in the show, so do go along and, and see them. They're a wonderful selection. There's also one or two that um, I was uh, looking for that um, were either from the previous uh, exhibition at Rockport or from, uh, from other galleries that have shown his work because I think a lot of these paintings just show a very unusual uh, sense of... Um, of what he would do for a, a design uh, or a composition. I was just trying mm. to find I love one. Those. Um, because at the moment we're just looking at uh, some of the pieces uh, that are for the PowerPoint. Because I was cheating. I wanted to know what the artist thought about this work. And I'm just trying to find one that I put in. It's, um, it was a, a watercolour that was done inside a barn and it just struck me as very unusual so mm. I'll, uh, I'm just going to click through all these things. You see folks we have a wonderful setup here we've got computers <laughs> all over and then we've got microphones uh, you wouldn't believe the oh, high technology that we're dealing with oh here it is um, and I oh. thought this was a really interesting piece and it's um, it's of course, now I can't find all the titles. So. Of course, we were all, um, at, we we're looking at a piece now of a, of a roof of a barn. It's up in the rafters, the, with the window uh, coming through. Swallows in the rafters or, uh, yeah. or something like uh, that. This is the type of work when I was a young man growing up. Uh, we admired Andrew Wyeth so much because he was, he was somebody in the news, somebody who's mm. been accepted by contemporary mm. people. Uh, and yet he was doing very traditional type work. 
uh, and they had a deep emotional mm. feeling, even though some of them might have been a little too black and white, uh, mm. as if the color was was something distasteful to uh, to him. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't, never met Andrew Wise, so I don't know, but um, I, I think that he influenced a lot of people. I, I think his son, Jamie, influenced me when I was in high school and to see his progress as a painter and what he was doing as a painter. So I thought that he influenced Don as well as many other painters mm -hmm. in this generation of the uh, 50s, 60s, into mm -hmm. the 70s. Um, and it brought a whole, I, th I think he, Andrew Wyeth solidified the concept of that it wasn't wrong to think traditionally and it wasn't wrong to think um, about things that we recognize and see. Uh, I think he did go into those ideas of um, like this particular piece of a barn with just the, the ribs, ribs of the barn in it and a window with light coming through the window. Something as very simple as this. Mm. And it's seen sideways as if you would see it. Well, that, that reminds me of that, that sort of thinking outside the box a little bit, yeah. you know, so that he, I'm going to do a tree, but I'm not going to do a tree the way Monet did it. I'm not going to do a tree the way um, this Baldini painted it or anybody else. I'm going to see the tree totally different, a new angle on how to paint a tree. Mm. I think that was what was going on for, because who wants to look at another painting of a, of a, of a you know, a landscape with, bright colors and everything else. So I think Wyatt was very lone, apropos. Don't you think it's really lonely? Yes, there? it has a deep feeling to it, yeah. yeah. You know, of the this Donstone piece yeah. that we're I looking see, at. Because I wasn't brought up over here, of course, I'm not... Mm -hmm. I know the name of Andrew Wyatt, but to be honest, I wouldn't recognize a lot of his work. So when I look at Don's work, to me... It's very, very personal as to how mm -hmm. he wants to show things. Yes, and uh, it yeah. was. And I'm not saying... Uh, I'm saying that... Uh, Andrew Ryan influenced of, that whole generation yes. of painters yeah. in many different ways. And like I said, I was more uh, attached to Jamie, his son, who mm -hmm. you know, was more adventurous with color. And I mm -hmm. loved color uh, than his, maybe his father. You know? Like that's and a tonalist. Yeah, it piece. is a little is, on the tonalist uh, side, yeah. but nonetheless, it's the subject matter yeah. that I think made Wyatt, us yeah. respond to Wyatt and woke us up a little bit as to what you could paint. All right. Rather than, yeah. in other words, in this case, it's a basket of pears. Yeah, this one we bumped on to, it looks yeah. like a, a basket of pears in a window. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but to me, the way he's framed, framed that, you, you know, you have part of the window frame in there, and it's, it's not so such are a... You, so the question I, is, I like are you looking out a window at a basket of pears on the outside ledge, or is that the reflection of the trees in the window? That's what I thought. Yeah. I just think he poses <laughs> because that Because you question. can also see the mullion. Right, yeah. the mullions, yes, yeah. And there's so a shadow across the basket. So it means, yeah. So you know you're outside looking in. And that must be the reflection of the trees. We also got into a little discussion, Connie and I, about um, brush strokes. And, and the looseness of the brush strokes was part of the... Um, lost and found in these paintings, I think. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I think he's just able to... Um, there is a lot of nice brushwork in those. Here we have um, one called The Last Flight, and it shows a big 
headlands uh, covered in what right. looks like snow. I think this is probably Monhegan, and of course Monhegan influenced a huge amount of Don's work simply because this is what he was painting, the coastline mm -hmm. at all times of the year. Uh, and Monhegan has a have more cliffs, you know, than uh, it, it looks more like um you know, rockier cliffs and around here you're gonna get sand dunes and um, you know, flatter right. flatter, you know, bass rocks is not a, a high cliff like I'm used to in Wales or Cornwall, I something think, like that. I think that Monhegan is uh, a desirable spot because it has everything. Yeah. It has the cliffs, it has these like what they call cathedral forests, forested place uh -huh. and then it has these beaches and yeah you know lobster so, coves and, yeah i mean so it's just amazing it is yeah so i think this is why don was yeah. attracted to it me he would go up there with paul uh and then eventually he moved up there and i believe yeah. he uh he was friendly with philip shoemaker who was a marine artist and so there were a number of things that uh, attracted him then of course he got very friendly with a lot of the fishermen who would you know, take him out on the lobster boats. But as, as you mentioned, Connie, he built up a, a large video library of seeing the ocean in, in movement, particularly in storms. And this was something he, he commented to me about was, you know, when when the seas are that heavy, you can't stand there and paint them. Yeah, exactly. um, but So you have to go and you have to watch what they're doing, try and remember it. And it was the advent, yeah, of the advent of the uh, movie camera. Yeah. Uh, and I know David's dad, Roger, was, would, you know, there'd be a hurricane coming in, the heavy seas, and he'd take the boys out to uh, go on the back shore to have a look. Nowadays, the police won't let you out there if there's any bad mm -hmm. weather. No, they, they close well, the road. The police are aware of stupid people doing yeah. stupid things. <laughs> yeah. so. But back yeah. then, of course, they'd go out there and... And uh, David's father would, would stand there and just look at the ocean. And obviously, he was trying to memorise how it would look yeah. so that then he could come back home and, and do these beautiful seascapes. Mm -hmm. um, in Don's case, he was taking advantage of all this modern technology of the movie camera so that he could sit in the comfort of uh, his home or the studio and watch, watch these over and over to get mm -hmm. the idea of the anatomy of a wave right. and the colour. And so it was something that I thought was interesting. Actually, it's extraordinary because he's studying it. Yeah, you I know, mean... And he's getting it in detail. And just to use, I think about it, you know, some people discourage photographs and all that. Yeah. But he was studying something that would then allow him to spontaneously yeah. put that into the painting. Yeah, well, I suppose... It's a, not... A movie of moving water is probably easier to to look at and be influenced by perhaps and just a flat photograph, a still yeah. photograph of a right. wave breaking or something like that. Right. But then I've never had to paint it like that, so I could be wrong. So I think it's... I, I think it's a great idea. I mean, why not take mm. advantage, full advantage of any you know, technology you have today to help you to remember something that's a momentary right. moment in time? And I think Don was wonderful at this. We're looking at now a wonderful piece of uh, three fishermen just doing their work on board a boat, concentrating. They're all embedded in their own thinking. Um, wonderful design, wonderful feeling of what's in focus, what's out of focus, what's important, what's not important. Um, beautifully done. And is this illustrative or is it fine art? Well, I think in America's history, 
I mean, if Winslow Homer is considered an illustrator, he certainly broke out of those those barriers mm -hmm. of illustration being lesser than fine art. And I, I think... I think it is somewhat illustrative, don't you think? A little bit. A little bit, but he takes it beyond illustration. I think Americans... I think. design. Yeah, it's it is. Design. I, think, I think his design... I mean, the number of pieces I've seen where he's got people who... You are moving out of the paint, um, out yeah. of the painting. It's very Degas like. You don't have to have everything in in the painting because mm -hmm. just this is this is what's in the frame. But you know that just because you can't see the legs of these people, you know they've got them. Yeah, right. It, it's, I well, just he's think, trying to get the swell and the movement yeah. of the boat. I just you know? think it's, it's and, um, yeah. I mean, I think, got, he, I think he does. I think he does get a that. good yeah. Yeah. a good job. Of yeah. That. I mean, the over a quarter of the painting right. is just taken up with with the sail. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's he balances yeah. that with with everything else. That's yeah, he's in the got painting. well. He's got the angle of the figures at one angle, the sail at another angle, and the horizon line at another. And I think that's accurate. I mean, I think that's pretty pretty it. difficult yeah. things to do. Um, and I think he's just you know making a statement about you know what what modern life is is going on. It's not much different from this life of a fisherman. Than it was in 1930. So, you know, obviously they they would know maybe a storm was coming or not coming. Yeah, he's depicting a time. Yeah, you know. and the interesting thing is because we know Don went from you know if it's oils and watercolor, then he goes into gouache. Mm -hmm. Do you have gouaches in the show? Um, it's uh, I'm not sure if it's is the like figure this, walking through the field. This one. This, is this one a is called bittersweet. Not no, it's egg tempera. Egg tempera. That's yeah. what I meant. Sorry. Um, and I think it's probably the only piece in the show that's not for sale. I think this has always right. been a favorite to the family. Right. Um, and it just depicts a a girl walking through this field. Uh, I I think it's very striking. Um, very main. Yeah, I mean, maybe I've heard people say that this is very sort of Andrew Wyathy. Um, um, well, I mean, like I said, I, I, think I, don't have that I think there were comparison. so many painters that were influenced by this, and I, I, don't, right. think, I, I don't think there's, um, there's anything wrong with being influenced mm -hmm. by no. a painter like Andrew Wyeth and the stature that he had. Mm -hmm. I think also, too, it, it, it changed our ideas about composition. Yeah, that there was nothing mm. wrong with telling a story. Yeah, that's very illustrative. You know, it is. To, yeah, I mean, the, in nature, the model, to tell stories. Yeah, you know? the model has right. it back to us. Um, you know, it's not something where you have to see the figure. Uh, you know, the full face right. or anything like that. She's doing her own thing. She's right. walking, but I just think the the texture that she gets in this in this meadow, I think, is. Beautiful. I know. I love that. And you could say yeah. that this these paintings were were of a new era. And I don't think there's anything wrong. I think at the time we might have said, oh, they're just copying so-and-so, or they're just copying Groupie, or they're just copying Kurt. It, mm. it doesn't make any difference. Um, in the end, when you start seeing and looking back, because it's a part of time. Mm -hmm. And if it's a big movement, and I think that was a big movement in the 60s, um, sort of like back-to-nature movement. Mm -hmm. You know, the hippies uh, wanted right. to build a cabin in the woods and live there the rest of their lives, grow their own food. You thought this was similar to that? Well, I thought it was similar in the sense that craftsmanship was important to them. Right. It wasn't just the idea of building a, a, a house in the woods and make your own, you know, stand up and make your own vegetable garden and things like that. The craftsmanship of everything right around mm -hmm. the time of the 60s started meaning more. Um, 
I saw a line of kids studying with my teacher. Nobody wanted to study with them. It was me and two others, and um, nobody else was even trying to get into the school. By 1972, there was a line so long of people mm -hmm. who wanted to figure out, how do you do this? How do you make an oil painting? So I think all those that, that craft of uh, painting became rekindled in the 60s and through mm -hmm. Andrew Wyeth and through the Wyeth family, yeah, mm -hmm. I think was very ma major player. And then other people just played off of it, interpreted because eventually mm -hmm. Don leaves egg tempera, I think, and yeah. goes into back to oils yeah. to oil. with a yeah. different right. style. Yeah, it is. You can look at his work and as I say, you, when you see a whole body of it together, uh, you really see how talented he was to be able to do so many different mediums, um, so many different subjects. I, I really think he was underrated at times yes. because people were so busy thinking, Amazing. well, it's like Wyeth, it's like Strizic. Uh, in actual fact, it was like Don Stone and yeah. He, yeah, he did some beautiful work. Can't believe mm -hmm. we've come to almost the end of the uh, the half hour there. So, any last thoughts from you? Well, Connie? I just want to remind everybody on the thirtieth um, of September there'll be a great will be a great day at the North Shore. Judy will be doing a PowerPoint. The day before, uh, the three we three with a brush, Connie. Um, Connie uh, Lowen, Connie Nagel, Tommy, Tommy Heinsen. <laughs> And myself, David Curtis, are all showing together at Connie's house in Kittery Point. And, um, you know, uh, I think if you re request an invitation, we'll be happy to send it to you. And if you want any further information on that, they, uh, why don't you check out the latest edition of the American Art Review. It features um, uh, an article on Don Stone Comes Home. Uh, with some beautiful illustrations and some very erudite information from myself with all the, with all the details and the facts that I forgot today. Uh, and there's also an ad in there about the, uh, the three with a brush show. So if you need further information, either check out the website or, uh, or check out the American Art Review. So we hope you've enjoyed this. We hope you'll join us for another episode next week. And in the meantime, don't forget, hit that follow button and you won't miss another episode. Very important because we know how much uh, you enjoy listening to we three getting around the, uh, the microphone here and fumbling our way through another 30 minutes. <laughs> but it's interesting. Art is something very special that we should uh, enjoy. And for me, I get so much information out of listening to David and Connie talking about the the actual creating of a an oil painting or a plein air painting or whatever you're doing it's uh, it's something so necessary today and uh, we should all have a go at it and if we can't paint ourselves we should go out there and buy one hmm. so don't forget uh, to uh, check us out next week and in the meantime have a great week thanks for listening mm -hmm.